Today, what I want to do is, I want to explore with you something that is the most familiar to all of us, and something that I would suggest is least understood. And that is the stealing the Afikoman. Right? I mean, you know, what Seder would be complete without a stealing the Afikoman? You kind of, you know, you know that even in, in Starim, in which there's no child, somebody steals the Afikoman. It's almost as if, you know, it, 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 if you don't steal the Afikoman, it's like you don't eat matzah. It's if you, you don't fulfill the obligations of the Seder if you don't steal the Afikoman. What I want to try to explore with you this afternoon is the source of the tradition of stealing the Afikoman and the explanation of why it became so popular and why it became so important. And I think we're going to find some things that are going to be very, very surprising. If you ask me and I knew nothing, you know, what was the first source for the steel in the Afikoman, you know, part of me would believe that in the first Pesach in Egypt, they stole the Afikoman, because how can you have a Seder without stealing the Afikoman? But we're going to see that that's absolutely not true, and we're going to see a development of a very, very interesting tradition. But just to take one step back, you know, the Seder that we observe, first of all, you know that the Seder that, you know, that, that's observed in Ashkenazi families is not necessarily the same Seder that's observed in Sephardi families or in Taimani families or in Western, um, you know, or, or in Western Sephardi families. Every tradition has many of their own customs, you know, that, 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 about which the Seder revolves. So therefore, the first important thing to understand about the Seder, before we look at the Afikoman, is to understand that the Seder is a very wonderful mix, combination, of law and custom, of traditions and halacha. And part of figuring out where Afikoman fits is to figure out is Afikoman part of the law part of the, of the Seder, or is it part of the tradition? Is it a custom, or is it a halacha? Do you have to steal the Afikoman, or is it just kind of a fun thing that we do just because? Right? What is it all about, the stealing the Afikoman? Now, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the Gemara. The Gemara talks about children and the Seder. And let's look at the very first source. I gave you... Um, the sources in the original pages of the Gemara and, 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 the, um, and the other sources. I like looking at the pages in their original. Okay, I think it's just nice to look at in the original. So here on the very first page, which is the Gemara in the last parak of Masechet Psachim, which is, the, which is the discussion of the Seder, the Gemara discusses children at the Seder. Everyone who comes in, I have extra handouts here. I don't know if I should leave them in the front or in the back, but I have, I have handouts here for everybody. I am now four lines from the, from, from the bottom of the page of the Gemara. The last word on the fourth line, actually it's a Rashi Tevot, it's an abbreviation, Tanu Rabbanan. We learned, we studied. Hakol chayavim be'arba kosot halal. Everyone is obligated in the four cups of wine. Echad anashim, men, v'echad nashim, women, v'echad tinokot, and children. Now, of those three, which is surprising? Echad anashim, is it surprising that men are obligated? No, men are obligated, right? Echad nashim, is it surprising that women are obligated in Arbakosot? Little bit. Tell me what that means. Why? Be very specific. What laws don't apply to women? Time-related laws. Mitzvot zman grama. Is Arba Kosot zman grama or not? Is it time-related? The answer is yes. So the answer, yeah, I, I would have thought that women should be exempt from Arba Kosot. They shouldn't have to drink four cups of wine because it's time-related, meaning if I drank four cups of wine tonight, I wouldn't fulfill the obligation. So therefore, it's time-related, so women should be exempt. So that is what we simply would call a chiddush. That's something that we wouldn't have expected. Now you tell me, why are women obligated in arbakosos? It's like kiddush. Good. The women are obligated in kiddush, but why are women? But arbakosos are different. Arbakosos is more than just kiddush. 
why are women obligated in Kiddush? Why are women obligated in Kiddush? Once you bring it up, why are women obligated in Kiddush? It's time-related. You can't make Kiddush on Wednesday. Why, why are women obligated in Kiddush? Here you go. Thank you. Suri comes in exactly right. Shamar v'zachar, which means, what Suri means to say is that since women are prohibited from doing work on Shabbos, they're also obligated to do things on Shabbos. Since they're obligated in what you call the lota says, they're also obligated in the assays. But that doesn't, that's not an arbakoso thing. That's for Kiddush. What about arbakoso? Why are women obligated in arbakoso? Right. Afhein hayu v'otohanes. Okay, listen carefully. Because women were included in the miracle. There's a machloket. There are two opinions in Tosvot what that means. One opinion is that since women were at risk in Egypt, since they were enslaved in Egypt, so the, the redemption applied to women as well. The other opinion is that the women were the heroines. What's the story? The women were the heroines. What's the story? You know this story, right? That the women seduced their husbands, and in that way, they made sure that the Jewish people would continue, and therefore women are obligated in the, um, in, 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 in Arbacosum. So... Let's go back to the Gemara. Echad anashim vechad nashim. Men are obligated. Women are obligated. They're right over there. Sorry, sorry. Vechad tinokot. And children are obligated. Now, is that surprising? Extremely. Why? Because children are never obligated at anything, right? Maybe chinoch that we, 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 we get children used to doing certain things. But that's not an obligation per se. And the word chosen by the Gemara is also interesting. It doesn't say children. It says tinokot. Tinokot gives the impression of what? Of babies. It doesn't really mean babies, but it means young children. Okay, let's see what it says. Rabbi Yehuda knew the problem. Amar Rabbi Yehuda... What advantage do children have to drink the wine? They're not going to remember Voseti Vitalti. They're not going to remember. They're not going to understand what the Arbakosot are about. Ella, what does it mean? Mechalkin lahem klayot ve'egozim be'erev Pesach. You distribute to the children parched grain. That was like, in those days, that was the candy. That was the M&M's of the time, okay? The kosher for Pesach M&M's of the time was parched grain. Ve'egozim are nuts. Ve'erev Pesach. Kidei shelo yishnu alu. Here, the word Erev Pesach means what? At the Seder, you give to children, you give them, you, you distribute nuts and candy. In that way, they will remain interested in the Seder and they won't fall asleep. Amru alav al Rabbi Akiva. This is a great story. And just in case you think that the only people who distribute candy to children are, you know, are regular people, but the rabbis would never do anything like that, you should know that the great Rabbi Akiva distributed candy to the kids at the Seder. Okay? Tanya. Okay. So far, so good. Basically, what the Gemara says is, are, are children really obligated in Arbacoso? No. Children are obligated to be involved in the Seder. We have to get them involved any which way we can, even if getting them involved means what? Means, well, bribing them. Means dealing with them like children, giving them candy. Okay? Tanya, Blazer Omer. Chotvin matzos v'leilep sochim. Bishvil tino kot shelo yishno. Chotvin matzos, I don't know what that means yet, on Pesach night, so that the children shouldn't fall asleep. What does the word lachtof mean in Hebrew? What does the word lachtof mean? To grab. Right? The word lachtof means to grab. So you grab matzah on Pesach night so that the children wouldn't fall asleep. Now, this class is about afikoma. When I see the word chotfin matzos, all of a sudden what happens? I get excited. Why? Because it sounds to me as if the Gemara is talking about what? What does it sound like? sounds like grabbing matzah. Maybe it sounds like this is a source for stealing the afikoman. Right? That's what it sounds like. Let's go on. Tanya. 
Amru alav al Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, Miyamav lo amar higia eislamod bebeis hamedrash. He says, I never told people to leave the base medrash. Chutz me arve psachim garve yom akipurim, except for erev Pesach and erev Yom Kippur. Erev Pesach b'shvil tinokos kedeshilo yishnu. On erev Pesach, we left the base medrash so that the kids wouldn't fall asleep. What does this mean? There are two ways to understand it. It's actually cute. There are two ways to understand it. One is that Rabbi Akiva used to tell his Talmidim on Erev Pesach in the afternoon, leave the base Medrash, go home, make sure your kids take a nap so that they'll be up for the Seder. That's one thing, okay? So if this year you want to take a nap on Erev Pesach or you want your kids to take a nap on Erev Pesach, you can quote the Gemara. The other explanation is that some of us have a tendency that after shul, sometimes at night, we stick around to talk. We don't go home immediately. Rabbi Akiva told his Talmudim that on Erev Pesach, after you finish Mariv on Pesach night, don't stick around in shul, but go home immediately to start your Seder on time so that the kids won't fall asleep. Okay, both are reasonable. The Erev Yom Kippurim and on Erev Yom Kippur, you also should go home so you should feed your kids. Probably what that means is that you feed your kids earlier so you're able to feed, feed the adults right before Yom Kippur. Okay, good. That's the Gemara. So in this Gemara, what, what line do I want to explore in terms of the possibility that it has to do something with the Afikoman? Which line? Chotvin matzos yishnu. So you know, in the last parak in you know, usually when you look at a page of the Gemara, the Rashi is always on the inside margin, and Tosfos is on the outside margin. There are several places in the Gemara that for a reason determined solely by the printer, on the bottom of Rashi, there's Rashbam. We know who Rashbam was. Rashbam was Rashi's grandson. Generally speaking, he did not write a um, commentary on the Gemara, but on certain prakim, he has a commentary on the Gemara. Arvev Sachim is one of those places. So I want to look at Rashi, and I want to look at the Rashbam. And I want to see if what they do with Chotvin Matzah, that you grab Matzah, Chotvin Matzah, says Rashi. I'm on the top line, right-hand column. It's underlined. Magbiyin es hake'ara. Bishvil tinokos she'yishal. What do you do? You pick up the Seder plate so that the kids will ask questions. Chotvin matzah, you grab the matzah. The matzah was on the Seder plate. They used to grab the matzah. They used to elevate it. They used to pick it up so that the children would ask questions. It's okay, but it's not exactly what we're looking for. Okay. By the way, you know, I'm not sure about your Seder, but I know in our Seder, the Seder plate is always kind of extra. Does anybody ever feel that way about the Seder plate? The Seder plate doesn't really have a place. It's kind of in the middle, and you're supposed to take it off and put it back, and it's kind of a, it, it kind of is just there symbolically. It doesn't seem to really have a place in the Seder. You know, in the old days, whatever that was, whatever those old days were, this, everyone used to have their own Seder plate. And on that Seder plate, they used to have the mitzvos as they relate to them. Matzah was there, and Maror was there, and Karpas was there. And that was like their plate. It was like you put an appetizer plate in front of everybody. The appetizer plate on Pesach night is a plate with all the mitzvos on it. So if you understand it that way, you understand that when you talk about taking the plate away and picking the plate up and all those kinds of things, that it had some, you know, it, it had some real value, right? Or it, it had some real relevance. Today, we've kind of deemed it to kind of a symbolic role. But okay. The is de mefarshe, is de mefarish, some explain like this. Chot fin matzah, what does it mean you grab the matzah? Ochlin maher, you eat quickly at the Seder. What do you mean you eat quickly at the Seder? Well, you want the kids to stay up to the end of the Seder. In order for the kids to, eat, to, get, uh, to stay up at the end of the Seder, you eat quickly. What does chotvin matzah have to be with, do with eating quickly? If you eat quickly, you grab the food quickly from the serving plate, right? Chotvin matzah, you grab the food. Okay. Two explanations in Rashi. Either you pick up the Seder plate, chotvin matzah, or you grab the food to eat it quickly so the kids won't fall asleep. Both are fine explanations of the Gemara. Neither one has anything to do with the Afikoma, right? Interesting. 
Why do I say it's interesting? Because this line seems to have been a line that could have been interpreted having to do with the Afikoma. And Rashi almost doesn't take the bait, right? Rashi, you know, has, does not connect it at all with Afikoma. Let's see what the Rashbam says. The Rashbam says like this, Veli Nira. You see where I am underlined in the Rashbam, about 15 lines down. Veli Nira. Chotvin misalkin es halechem miyad hatinokos shelo yehu yeshenim mitoch ma'achal harbei kiderech hatinok acharachilaso. It's not only children. Everybody gets tired when they eat too much. If you let the kids eat too much at the Seder, they're going to doze off. What's the way to make sure kids don't, don't doze off? Chot bin matzah. Don't let them eat too much. Hey, that's pretty original, right? I mean, it's not what we want, but it's pretty original. Okay? Aval achshav kishachot bin mehen. Lo yishnu alu. Right? But now that you grab the food, you don't let them eat too much. They won't doze off and they'll be okay. Kolomar. Lo Yishnu, Shilo Achlu Kide Savan. They won't fall asleep because they're not full. The Yishalu, and they'll ask, Kishiru Hashinu Yimshanu Osime Kerilitinokos. And they'll ask when they see the differences of the Seder. So, Chotvin Matzah. So far, I have three explanations, all three interesting, none what I'm looking for. Number one is that you pick up the Seder plates, number two is that you eat quickly. Number three is that you don't give them, you know, you don't let them fill themselves up so they won't get tired. Yes, sorry. Yeah, but it's not about afikoma. It's about something else. You see, well, but that's because the word chotvin means to grab. So they've got to be grabbing something. So either they grab the Seder plate. If you want to know, to me, Rashi and the Rashbam are struggling. They're not really sure what it means. They're kind, of, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to figure out what you do to keep the kids interested. And they kind of have very original kind of explanation. The idea that you don't fill them up because you fall, because you doze off if you eat too much food, that's very original. That's, that's a great explanation, right? But not exactly what we want. So where do you go? Rashi and the Rashbam don't, don't do what we want them to do, meaning they don't, they don't address the issue we want them to address. So what's the next person you might look at? Who's very important when it comes to, to the laws of the Seder? The Rambam. The Rambam, actually, if you turn to the next page, the Rambam spends two chapters... Yes? That's what you came today to find out. That's what we're going to figure out. I mean, you know, that's, that's really what I wonder. I mean, I, I was waiting a second to say that, but that's what I wonder. You know, if Rashi and the Rashbam had stealing the Afikoman at their Seder, I think I would have expected that to appear in their commentary of this line. Now, that is not a scientific argument, right? Because who knows, and maybe they had Afikoman, but they didn't think that's what this line means. But my gut tells me that if you see the word grab in the Gemara, the first thing, at, you, see, sorry, you see the word grab and you see the word kids. You don't have to be very sophisticated to connect those two words to Afikoma. The fact that Rashi and the Rashbam choose not to connect those words to Afikoma makes me think without abs having absolute proof that, this, that they didn't have the Afikoman because they didn't make connected. And my argument is buttressed by the fact that I think that they struggled to find an explanation for Chot bin Matzah. The explanation they give for Chot bin Matzah, any one of the three explanations, are not what I would say is an obvious explanation for grabbing the matzah. The idea is you don't give them enough food to eat, that's, that's creative, but it's not the obvious explanation. So... I think Afikoman would have been more obvious. The fact that they didn't give you the obvious explanation suggests to me at this point in our exploration, and that's why explanations are fun, because we'll tweak it as we go on, but at least at this point it suggests to me that Rashi and Rashbam did not know about Afikoman. Yeah. Sorry, Yeah. 
Rashi lives from 1040 to 1105. The Rashbam is his grandson. He lives at the beginning of the 1100s. And they were French. And they were French, right. Um, when did they, wasn't there a time where they actually um, had the meal first and then studied? Yeah. So is this, when, are, when are we here? You're right. That was in the time of the Gemara. Okay. It's not, it, that's a time of the based on Mikdash, maybe. It's not reflected here. Okay, okay that's, that's later. Your, your point is a good point, but it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not related to this. Okay. Next page, the Rambam. The Rambam describes the Seder in great detail. You see Perak Shvi'i in the Rambam here? The paragraph that begins Perak Shvi'i. Do you see bold letter Gimel? About eight lines down. Everybody see where I am? Gimel. Vitzarich lasot shinui balayla hazeh. You have to do different things on this night. So that the children will see and they'll ask questions. Okay, you have to have differences so that they'll ask the Manishtana. Good, that we know. What do you do to pique their interest? What do you do to be different? Hey, that's our Gemara. You distribute the parched grain, the candies, and the nuts. That's Rashi's explanation, that you remove the Seder plate. Before they eat. Whoa! In Cairo, in the Rambam's time, they played a matzah game at the Seder. That's what he says. What does that mean? I grab the matzah from you, and you grab the matzah from me, and we grab the matzah from one another. That's what it means. They had a matzah game. Now that already is interesting. Why? Yeah, now he doesn't say Afikoman, but we're already moving into the game piece of it, right? Chotvin Matzah Zemiyadzeh. Look at the Ravid. You see the Ravid on the inside margin? The Chotvin Matzah Mavram, Peirushachim and Maharim Lechol Kedeshilo Yishno. Okay, he says like the Rashbam, but you eat quickly. So, so far, I have. Four explanations for what it means, Chotzvin Matzah. Rashi number one, you pick up the Seder plate. Rashi number two, you eat quickly. The Rashbam, you don't give them a lot to eat. And the Rambam, you play a matzah, matzah grabbing game. None of these four explanations mention Afikoman directly. But I would agree that at least the Rambam seems to be talking in a language that's more familiar, which is we grab the matzah. Let's see what the Shulchan Aruch says about this. I'd expect, you know, the, they, all these people talk about it. Let's see, maybe the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, maybe he jumps on this. Next page. Page of the Shulchan Aruch. You with me? Page of the Shulchan Aruch. No tell Yadav Litzorecht Tiburishon. Sorry, I'm in Vav. See where I am? Samech, Vav. No tell Yadav Litzorecht Tiburishon. You wash your hands for Karpas, well, Yavarech Alhanetila. Vikach mea Karpas, Pachos Mikazayas, and you take from the Karpas lesson Mikazayas. Umatfilo Bechometz, coins of the Machaber, coins of the Shulchanaruch, you dip your Karpas in, what's Chometz? In vinegar. Isn't that interesting? Umavarech Vari Prihadama. Okay, you, you eat it and you, then you and don't make a brach afterwards. Now, now we get to Afikoman. You break the middle matzah in half. You give it half of it to one of the people at the table to, to guard it for Afikoman. And you put it underneath the tablecloth. And the other half you put between the two big matzahs. Okay, very good. Now, what do you see from there? 
The Shulchan Aruch describes exactly what you do with the Afikomen. You give it to one of the people, he puts it under the tablecloth. I would have expected at that point what should be said. And that matzah that's put underneath the tablecloth, what happens to that matzah? It's stolen, the kids play with it, whatever it is. Complete silence on the part of the Shulchan Aruch, right? Again. We have a Gemara of Chotzvin Matzah. A Gemara that I would have thought addresses the question of Afikomas. But very, very interestingly, in the Rishonim, Rashi, the Rashbam, and the Rambam, I find no mention of Afikoma. I see the Rambam talking about a game, but even the Rambam is, does not say Afikoma directly. The Shulchan Aruch, who kind of codifies everything, talks about the Afikoman in detail. He tells everybody exactly how to break the Afikoman, where to put it, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely no mention of what? No mention of stealing the Afikoman. Well, and nobody used the Afikoman. No, he, uh, the Shulchan Aruch does use the word Afikoman, but that's not. Afikoman just means, Afikoman means the matzo that you're going to eat at the end of the Seder, right? The Mishnah says, in maftirin achar ha-pesach afikoman, afikoman refers to the mat that you're going to eat at the end of the Seder. So help me out. Where's afikoman come from? Where's the stealing afikoman come from? I'm just wondering, the other, was there ever a connection between chotzin matzah and afikoman before? I mean, I didn't see that. Right? You're saying we have afikoman, the word afikoman from the Mishnah. We're not chotzin matzah. But I didn't see that. No, we have not. No, that's what... No, I was just meaning the dessert. No, but what's interesting is I, I might have connected Chotzvin Matzah to Afikoman, and it's interesting nobody does. No, but it could have been. If I interpret Chotzvin Matzah as relating to Afikoman, then it would have been that which was eaten later. Right? You understand what I'm saying? It means, yeah. you know, it's kind of which comes first, right? If Chotzvin Matzah relates to Afikoman, then it relates to that Matzah that's eating, eaten later. Right? Okay. Next page. And I apologize to you. But I wanted to give you the whole page of the Shulchan Aruch. Because I wanted to show you the very first mention of Afikoman. Here's a page of the Shulchan Aruch. The very first time that stealing the Afikoman is mentioned is in the Chok Yaakov. If you think you can't read it, you're right. That's the first mention of Afikoman. It's something that you cannot read. I want to tell you about him for a minute. I'm going to, I, I read it beforehand, so I'm going to be able to, to decipher it. Okay? I'm going to tell you. Just see, right in the middle of the page, you see how many people are on the page of the Shulchan Aruch? Everybody got themselves on the page of the Shulchan Aruch. Right in the middle of the page is something called the Chok Yaakov. You see, you see where I have it underlined, right? Okay? Chok Yaakov. Who is Rabbi, who is Rabbi Chok Yaakov? Rabbi Chok Yaakov is someone by the name of Yaakov Reicher. Rabbi Yaakov Reicher lived in Prague, from 1670 to 1733. Rabbi Yaakov Reicher is known only because he wrote a commentary on the laws of Pesach that were included in the Shulchan Aruch called the Chok Yaakov. Okay? So he writes around the year 1700. I need not tell you that in Jewish history, 1700 is yesterday. Okay? That you know, right? I mean, the fact that, 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 that he's writing 1700, that's yesterday. Look what the Chok Yaakov says, and if you can't look, just take my word for that's the fact that it says, okay? So he says, he says, oh, right, he quotes that Rashi that you should eat quickly. That which it says in our Vepsachim, Chotfin Matzah, Vepsachim. That which we saw in the Gemara, that it says that you grab matzah. The chain pirush Rashi sham shecheniker. Okay. Says Rashi says that what that means is that you eat quickly. The ayin sham dinemru od pirushim bedavarzeh. Says and look there in the Gemara. He tells you because there are other explanations that are given. Kigon lehasir ha'ka'ara. It's like removing the Seder plate. We saw that in Rashi too. 
Shinis Bayer Bistamuk Simon Tafayin Gimel Sifav. Okay. So far, so good. Or, so far, not really relevant. Sorry. The Harambam, Perek Zayin Milchus Chamei Tumatza, Kosav, Chotvin Matza Zemiyadze, they grabbed matza from one another, they had a matza stealing game. So the kids will ask, so the kids will realize it and they'll ask. The Fshar, the Fshar, it's possible that this Rambam is the source for the custom. It's possible, he says, that the Rambam's explanation is the source for our custom, and that phrase, the Medino Seilu, is very interesting in our countries, right? In Central Europe, in Eastern Europe, that the children steal the Afikoman. Sha'al Yedezeh, through that, Lo Yishnu, they will not fall asleep. The Yisoriru Lishal they will be enlivened or woken up to ask. Hey, what do you think? Here we got it. What does the Chok Yaakov say? He says that the custom of stealing the Afikoman in our communities, the source of that custom is from where? From that Rambam, right? We didn't know what the game was. Maybe nobody knew what the game was. They saw this Rambam as a source for stealing the Afikoma. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? To me, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Number one is he's not sure. But, sorry, I, it's okay that he's not sure. He is sure about one thing. By 1700, they're stealing the Afikoma. What he's not sure about is why they're stealing the Afikoma, but they're clearly stealing the Afikoma. Now, that's an amazing thing. The amazing thing is that nobody mentioned stealing the Afikoma before 1700. And even in 1700, where they mention stealing the Afikoma, they're not sure what the source is. It's, it's merely a suggestion of what the possible source might be. What do you think about that? Yeah, maybe that's right, but isn't it interesting? It's mostly the Rambam, Chot Ben Matzah, yeah? It just seems that there's Well, to be fair, I don't know that they weren't stealing the Afikoman before 1700. I, I can only prove to you what I have, right? Well, let's look at the next source. I think the next source will maybe shed a little bit of light on this. The Rambam is around the year 1170, the Rambam's writing, okay? But the Rambam's writing on another planet. The Rambam's writing in Cairo in 1170, right? I mean, you know, he's explaining the custom in Prague in 1700, you know, how that relates to the Rambam in 1170, you know, they're just kind of utilizing the Rambam. Look at the paragraph that starts Be'orchos Chaim. You see where I am, Be'orchos Chaim? Be'orchos Chaim, Simen Tafayin Gimel, Omer. Yesh Omrim Kasav, B'Shem Me'orei Eish. The Orchos Chaim was written by someone by the name of Chaim Buchner in Krakow in 1654. I'll only tell you that this book is so obscure that there is not a copy of this book in the JTS library. I'll tell you that there is no copy of this book, Archos Chaim, in public hands in New York City. Okay, maybe somebody owns this book, but in the, none of the libraries can you get this book, Archos Chaim. That's how obscure this book is. So this mention of Afikoman that I am about to quote to you, this person who wrote the book, Baladin Lasimcha, someone, Rabbi Freund, who lives in Yerushalayim, he found this book. It's not exactly something that everybody has on their bookshelves. Okay? This is what he writes. Shechatifas ha'afikoman, the grabbing of the afikoman, mitachas akise, right? However, they do it from underneath the chair. 
who minog badui fehevel. It's a custom that's what? Stupid. That's a good word. Stupid. Worthless and stupid. Uvinachrim nishma. This is unbelievable. Shahayahudim malamdin b'neihem ligno. Zecher levayinatsu es mitzrayim. Okay? Says, and the, the non-Jews say about us that we teach our children to steal by stealing the afikoman. And why do we do that? They're, they're tamidei chachamim, these non-Jews. Because they know the Pasuk says that when the Jews left Egypt, they stole the, um, the silver and the gold from the Egyptians. Right? Forget the Midrashim that they gave it to us, but simply they stole it. And therefore, we're teaching our children to steal the way the Jews stole when they left Egypt. Okay, pretty creative. The Alcain, and therefore, Hamoneya b'minhagzeh mishubach. Okay? The person who doesn't steal the Afikoman, they're better. Vehuva b'alichas olam, t'yesh kehilos me'asfaridim sheminah g'nevis Afikoman lohoyo noeg bohem. What's interesting here is there's opposition. Now, that's interesting, number one, right? In fact, you're teaching your kids to steal. I want to say, let me just say this point and I'll take your question. But historically speaking, it's interesting that this opposition to Afikoman is in the same century as the Chog Yaakov's introduction of the custom to steal the Afikoman. Why do I think that's interesting? Because it seems to be that Afikoman became an issue in the 1600s. You know... Why would it be the 1600s? It means if it came from the Rambam, they should have had this argument in the 1300s. They didn't have this argument in the 1300s. Makes me think that for some reason, they started stealing the Afikoman in the 1600s. There were some who thought it was a good idea, some who thought it was a bad idea, and they argued about it in the 1600s. Yes? Question. So I don't need anybody. Oh, so which, what point? Which point? It's quoted in this book, Halicho Solom. I couldn't even find this book. Forget how obscure it is. Yeah, I couldn't even find the name of this book in the card catalog. The Yesh Kehilot, there are communities, you know, um, you know, Middle Eastern communities probably. Sheminag the custom. Geneva Tafikoman, stealing the Afikoman. They didn't, they didn't steal the Afikoman. Vitaman in the reason they shall kidei so shalo yargil hatino pigneva, so that the kids will not become used to stealing. Vikakasim and so says Bal Khabos Yair, this Rabbi Yair Chaim Bachrach, Besifra Makorchaim, Shatino Kot at the kids, Gonvin Afikoman, they steal the Afikoman, Lichaveva mitzvot to endear the mitzvah to them. Ubikomakam, however, Yesh Panim Limchos Lavatala Mitzvah. However, there is room to criticize these people and not to let them steal them, steal the Afikoma. Wow. What do we have? Seems to me what we have is we have a relatively late custom. Again, 1600s. It's also yesterday, right? A relatively late custom of stealing the Afikoma. And maybe the most interesting of all is that there was opposition to this custom. Whoever went to a stadium where they told you you can't steal the Afikoman because it's like stealing. Somebody once told me that they did hear that. Okay, you know, every, there's somebody starving in the world over, over time. Somebody said that. It's cute, right? But anyway, this was clearly something that was discussed. Once they put it in the books, means it was discussed, right? That maybe you shouldn't steal the Afikoman. It gets the kids, re, you know, used to stealing. And the fact that they connected to the Pasuk, that's really fascinating. Yes, sorry. We're, the mitzvah is the eating of matzah. Yeah, they, no, the, 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 the mitzvah is the eating of matzah. Nobody says stealing the afikoman is a mitzvah. Right? So that they will you know, gain appreciation in matzah. Okay, that's what it means. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's funny. You, you know, sometimes, Suri, you can, you can make something out of that. In this case, it doesn't make sense to make anything out of that. There, there's no question. Nobody's saying that stealing the Atikoman is a mitzvah. Now, what I want to try to figure out is what is the stealing the Afikoman all about? You know, what's interesting is, now that we've seen the sources, I would suggest that the sources do not directly address stealing the Afikoman, right? Chot bin Matzah could have been interpreted stealing the Afikoman. It's not interpreted that way. When the Chok Yaakov says that's what the Rambam means, that's one of those things, you know, when you learn Gemara, sometimes you find a source and the source actually says what you want it to say, right? From the source, you derive the law. Sometimes when you learn Gemara, you know what you want to find, and therefore you find the source, and because you know what you want it to say, you interpret the source in the way so that it will say what you want it to say, okay? You know, that's classic Gemara learning. This is an example of that meaning. The Chog Yaakov is looking for a source for stealing the Afikoman. He sees a Rambam that is puzzling, puzzling because they had a game of grabbing, Afiko, grabbing matzah. We don't know what it means. Because he's looking for a source for stealing the Afikoman, he hooks stealing the Afikoman onto that Rambam. I think we would all agree that the Rambam, maybe that's what the Rambam means. The Rambam is far from explicit in that. Right? So, one second, sorry, I got you one second. So therefore, we have a custom that develops late. Why it develops in the 1600s, that's hard to say. But what I want to try to figure out with you is why it develops at all. You know, that's a very interesting question. A custom that is not found in the sources, that develops, let's, let's be honest, around people's Seder table, right? That's how it develops. And how does it become popular? Well, what do you mean how does it become popular? The kids come to shul the next morning, and they tell their friends, we stole the Afikoman, so the next night their friends steal the Afikoman. And the parents say, wow, you know, we really got the kids interested because they stole the Afikoman. And, you know, they're small communities, and someone puts it in a book, and the Chogyakva puts it on the page of the Shulchan Aruch, and all of a sudden you got yourself a custom. It's a nice custom. And, of course, like in all good Jewish things, as soon as you have yourself a custom, you're going to have opposition to the custom. And therefore you have the tradition. Now, what's interesting is, of course, and I'm not, you're not surprised to hear, that in this case, sometimes opposition wins. In this case, the custom wins. It's such a nice custom that you're not going to undo the custom because some people didn't, you know, thought that it was a bad custom. This is just a nice custom. Yeah, sorry, sir, you had a question. Yes, I think so, right. It, Yeah, no, Bachrach is famous. Chavos Yoyer you can get, okay? That's, I didn't bother here, but I mean, he has it right here, but yes, you can get it, okay? And he does actually say that, okay? Now, um, yeah, but he doesn't, see, but he's less interesting than Yorchus Chaim because he doesn't talk about the fact that, you're gonna, that they're going to get used to stealing him by Yenatsu by Mitzrayim, so he kind of says it kind of shorthand. Now, let's try to understand what the significance of stealing Yathikom is. Let's take a step back Step back from the technical sources, try to understand what the stealing the Afikoman is all about. And to understand what the stealing the Afikoman is all about, I want to look at the structure of the Haggadah for a minute. You know, we do something interesting, you know, at the Seder, a lot of interesting things, in terms of the meal at the Seder. The meal is right in the middle of the Seder, right? That's odd. That's just a funny time to have the meal, right? You're hungry at the beginning. You mentioned before that, they, that originally they probably ate at the beginning, but now we eat in the middle. You recite a whole bunch of things, you eat, and then you recite afterwards, right? It's even stranger because the meal actually is bookended by what? By Hallel. You know, Hallel is a, is a prayer, is a tefillah, that we say all year long, right? Rosh Chodesh was, um, Rosh Chodesh was Sunday, right? You say Hallel all year long, Hallel is one of those things that you don't interrupt. You don't, you, don't, you, know, you, don't, you don't speak in the middle of reciting Hallel. What do we do at the Seder? We eat a meal for hours right in the middle of Hallel. It's a kind of odd thing. Actually, this goes back a long way. The Mishnah has a disagreement between Beishamai and Beishillel 
exactly how to divide the Haggadah around the Halal. Beishamai says that before the meal, you just say the first paragraph of Halal. Then you eat, then you finish the Halal. Beis Hillel says, you say the first two paragraphs of the Halal before the meal. You eat, then you finish the Halal. So you say, what are the first two paragraphs? What's the issue here? What is the second paragraph of the Halal? B'tzeit Yisrael Mimitzrayim. Right, that's the key paragraph that relates to the, to the Seder. Right, B'tzeit Yisrael Mimitzrayim when the Jews left Egypt. Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel have a disagreement whether B'tzeit Yisrael Mimitzrayim is before the meal or after the meal. Beishamai says that Petzeis Yisrael and Mitzrayim is after the meal. You know why? Because the exodus only began at midnight, right? Midnight was when God killed the firstborn. The experience of the exodus began at midnight. Right? He's a literalist, right? He's kind of rigid, right? If, the, if Yitzhak Mitzrayim didn't start till midnight, I don't want to say Petzeis Yisrael and Mitzrayim until midnight, or at least till the second half of the Seder. Basilel says, no. Once you start... Once you start the Hallel, you say B'tzei and B'tzrayim. Exactly the technicality of exactly when the Jews left is of secondary importance. Now, as always, our tradition follows Beis Hillel over Beis Shammai. For whatever reason, that's always the way it goes. Beis Hillel always wins. And that's what we do in our Seder. We say the first two paragraphs, then we eat, then we go back to the Hallel. Rabbi Soloveitchik liked to say that according to Beis Hillel, according to Beis Hillel, we say B'tzei Sisram and Mitzrayim before the meal because by saying B'tzei Sisram and Mitzrayim, by identifying and by thanking God for the fact that we were taken out of Egypt, it turns the meal into a celebration of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. See, according to Beishamai, we didn't get out of Egypt yet. I know it's a funny thing, but according to Beishamai, we didn't get out of Egypt yet. So the meal is just a regular Yontif meal. But according to Beis Hillel, it's actually a celebration of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Actually, Rabbi Soloveitchik has a great thing here. He says, you know what? He says, the meal actually is not an interruption in the Hallel. It's part of the Hallel. We say Hallel by saying Hallel. And we cel- so we celebrate by saying Hallel. And we celebrate by eating. That's part of the experience of celebration. We celebrate in a lot of different ways. Very interesting. So, the Hallel and the meal is really a bridge, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, according to Beis between the first half of the Haggadah, which is the preparation for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, culminating in B'tzei Sisram and Mitzrayim, Hallel and the meal, and the second half of the Seder, which is what? What's the second half of the Seder? What do we do in the second half of the Seder? What do we do in the second half of the Seder? What do we do? Tell me, what do we do? What's the second half of the Seder about? What? Yeah, but what, what, what time frame? What? Adir who? Let's take something we know. Adir who? Yivne beiso bekaro. Right? I was saying it. What does that mean? Adir who means what? what? What's Adir who mean? God is exalted, right? Yivne beiso bekaro. What's beiso bekaro mean? Right? We should rebuild the beisah mikdash. Truth of the matter is, it has nothing to do with beisah. Also, you know when these songs at the end were written? 1400s, 1500s, very, very late. But clearly there was an emphasis on the future. The first part of the Seder talks about the Exodus. The second part of the Seder talks about the future. Talks about what will happen. Is the way we end, right? It means God comes in the end and he kills, you know, he kills all the bad guys, right? That's the future. That's what, that's what Chagadja is about. That's why we finish with Chagadja. Now, it's interesting. What is it that connects the first part of the Seder and the second part of the Seder? What is it? What is it? Let me ask it a different way. 
Why don't we take a piece of celery from the carpas, hide it, and then have the kids find it and bargain with a piece of celery? Why don't we do that? It's okay. Have a piece of celery or maror or salt water. You tell me, no, it's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. If we stole a piece of celery, you'd think that was brilliant to steal a piece of celery. Why don't we do that? Yes, yeah, say it even better. Good. Yes, yeah, say that right. Good. 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 Right. You're, you're one step ahead of me. Let's take the very... I want to get you in one step. Let's take a preliminary step. If I was to steal the celery, well, what good is the celery after the carpas, right? I mean, the celery has one function at the Seder. It's carpas. After Karpas is done, what happens? After Karpas is done? So it's finished, right? That's the end of the Karpas. That's the end of the celery. That's the end of my parsley. Matz is unique. That's what you said, right? Matz is unique. Matz is unique because matzah appears at least at two points in the Seder. Maybe it appears throughout the Seder. But at least it appears at two points in the Seder. What's the first point matzah appears? At the beginning of the meal. Right? Matzah is what bread? The bread of affliction. It's the bread that we break in half. That's the afikoman. That's the bread of It's the bread of freedom, but the bread of freedom that was the bread of affliction. It's the bread of freedom because we didn't have time to let the matzah, to let the bread rise. It was the bread that represented the fact that it was rushed, that it was hurried, that there were problems, right? That's the first matzah. But then there's another matzah. That's the matzah at the end of the meal. The matzah that we call afikoma. What is that matzah? At the end of the meal, when we're finished eating, we eat an afikoma. What's that matzah? Yeah, very good. That's That's the last bite that we take of the night. No food, right? No food on Pesach night after the Afikoman. Why not? Because in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the Korban Pesach was eaten last and nothing was allowed to be eaten after the Afikoman. The, uh, the matzah at the end of the meal is not the bread of affliction, the halach mo'anya, the mass at the end of the meal is the what? The bread of redemption. The bread of the future. That's amazing, right? It's the bread of the future. It's the bread that looks forward to the carbon Pesach, which is the bread of redemption, which is the bread of what? It's the bread of Azirhu Yivne Beso Bekarov. That's the bread. That's what we eat at the end of the, uh, of, at the, end of the, at the end of the meal. And you know, I always thought that's a very powerful message that the matzah of afikoman is supposed to still be in your teeth all night long. You are allowed to brush your teeth, but you can't eat anything else, right? That matzah is in your teeth all night long. Just like the carbon Pesach, you can imagine, the carbon Pesach was in their teeth all night long. They rushed to eat the carbon Pesach before chatzos, before midnight, and the taste was in their mouths all night long because that's the way they, that's the way they prepared for the future. Now, how do we reflect the fact that that matzah changes its nature. Well, you know, that's an interesting, that's a very, very interesting symbol. And here we talk about symbols. The matzah is transformed from the bread of affliction to the bread of redemption. In order to highlight that transformation, Actually, there are two ways to do it. One is to have one piece of matzah that's the bread of affliction and another piece of matzah that's the bread of redemption. And basically, that's what we do. You don't eat the same piece of matzah at the beginning of the meal at the end of the meal. You have a piece of matzah at the beginning, piece of matzah at the end. Some people have the top two matzahs at the beginning and they hold the bottom matzah for the afikoman, but it's a different matzah. But you know, if you have a different matzah for the afikoman, you don't really see the transformation of the matzah. I have a matzah that's bread of affliction, I have a matzah that's bread of redemption. But if what? If I take the very same piece of matzah and I say this matzah I'm taking at the beginning of the meal and it's kind of magic in a sense, right? It's magic. 
that this piece of matzah that I took at the beginning of the meal, which is halachma anya matzah, all of a sudden the same piece of matzah becomes what? Becomes yadihu yibdebeso bakarov matzah. And that's exactly what we do. That's chotvin matzah. That's, that's grabbing the afikoman. Why do we steal the afikoman? Well, well, kids, we're not, we're not at the kids yet, okay? I want to know why we do it, then we'll talk about why it's the kids, okay? The reason we do it is because that guarantees the fact that you see a transformation in the matzah itself. Now, before we talk about the kids, I want to show you something that is really unbelievable. Look at the very last page. Our friend, the Chok Yaakov. The Chok Yaakov says, uh-oh, my eyes aren't as good as they were at the beginning. He says, see, you see the Chok Yaakov, I have it underlined here. V'nahagu lishbor chaticha me'afikoman. There is a custom, he says, to break off a piece of the afikoman. V'linkov otam, to make a hole in the afikoman. Okay. V'tolinoto. They used to hang it on the wall next to the table. Okay. The Ainbok Shash Isur And don't worry about the fact you make a hole in it. It's not a prohibition on Yuntif. He's worried about a technicality. He's worried about doing malach on Yuntif. But that's not what I'm interested in. What custom, the same Chogyakov, what does he say about the Afikoman? What does he say? There was a custom to do what? To hang the Afikoman on the wall. Other sources say that they used to put a piece of the afikoman in their pocket after the Seder. Right? Kind of like Havdalah. Right? What is that all about? Well, you know, whatever, afikoman time. Whatever, I don't know when they did it. They had it, when they went to sleep, when they woke up the next morning, they had a piece of afikoman in their pocket. I don't know when they put it in. What does that mean? What is that? That's, that's an amazing custom. What's that about? Of course. Of course. If the afikoman is transformation from past halach ma'anya to adiru yivne beis bakarov, I don't want to stop it at the seder. I want that afikoman in my pocket. There's a book. One minute. One minute. There's a wonderful. There's a wonderful. You know, nowadays they found a lot of these minhagim books, and they found recently a minhagim book from Frankfurt city of Frankfurt in Germany. Germans. And the Germans, in this, in this Minhag book, and this is important for this year, in this Minhag book, they say that the custom in Frankfurt in the 1800s was to take a piece of afikoman and keep it all year long and put it in the chalant on Shabbos Haggadah. Put it in the chalant on Shabbos Haggadah. Okay? This year, you can't do that. Because Shabbos Haggadol Dera Pesach. So those people who have that custom, who have their Afikoman piece in their drawer, and they want to use it, make sure to put it in the chalun this week, not next week, okay? But that's the point. I mean, that's an amazing point, right? That you actually keep it the whole year. And sorry, that's right. I mean, if that's the symbol of the future, then why give it up? I'm going to keep it. That's the, the, the matzah is the transformation of affliction to future, of bad to good, that represents the fact, that symbolizes the fact that everything's going to be okay. That is an extremely powerful symbol. That's the symbol of the Afikoman, and that's clearly a symbol that these people didn't miss, right? These Germans put it in their chalets on Shabbos HaGadol. They kept it for the entire year. And now, you know, the kids are just an automatic, right? Now that's easy. Right? How did kids get involved with the Afikoman? Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's try to analyze it logically. I know why I've got to get rid of that Afikoman from the table. Why do I have to get rid of that Afikoman from the table? Because I want to make sure that I don't do what by accident? Eat it. That's correct. So I, got, I have to get rid of that Afikoman because we all know from the Seder, if you left an Afikoman on the table, there is no way it would make it through the meal, right? At some point during the meal, someone would put it in their soup. Somebody would eat that Afikoman, right? So you've got to get rid of the Afikoman. It's got to go somewhere else. Now, once it's got to go somewhere else, then what? The kids are going to find it. 
Right, so the kids are going to find it. Well, the kids, I, I would say just a slightly different, I, I want to include the kids. And I know that people have different customs. In some families, the father hides it and the kids look for it. In some families, the kids hide it and the parents look for it. Everyone has a variation. The, the post games don't talk about that. It doesn't make any difference, right? The thing they do talk about is they do, you know, some say that when they hide the afikoman, make sure they don't hide it near the chametz, so there shouldn't be any chametz on the afikoman. Okay, that they talk about, yeah. There's so many poisons that it has to come back. Right. Yeah, no, the, but the point is that the kids are involved because, when we, because the afikoman represents the future. And therefore, the kids are the one who are in, ones who are involved. Now, you know, it's, I think it's a great explanation, and I think it's a wonderful, you know, kind of exploration to afikoman. You know what I'm kind of stuck with a little bit? It's so good, why did it take to the year 1700? Like, you know, the Jews beforehand weren't sensitive to this? You know, I can't give you a good explanation. It might be, it might be, that the Jews in Central and Eastern Europe in the 1600s and the 1700s and the 1800s, times of pogroms and of massacres, it might be that the, that the symbol of the future was especially powerful. Now, that's not a fair thing to say, because you can tell me that during the Crusades the Jews didn't need Apicoban, and during the Inquisition the Jews didn't need Apicoban. Yeah, sure they needed it. Probably it has to do with the view of symbols that were symbols were very powerful in Eastern Europe. It's very hard. You know, the idea of why customs emerged at a certain time is very hard to put your finger on. And what I joked about before is I'm sure really right, which is that the reason the custom emerged is because somebody had a very good idea in a community and they talked about it in shul and it caught, like, caught on like wildfire, right? In the end, that's what happens. But you see how powerful this symbol really is. And that's the symbol of the matzah. That's the symbol of the afikoman. It's the symbol of the seder. It's the one thing that connects the first half of the seder to the second half of the seder. And that's really Jewish life, which is the move from halach ma'anya to adir hu yivne Now, I think this is fascinating, but it wouldn't be the same without a little bit of a chassidish twist in all of this. And I want to tell you something that was suggested by the Jikover Rebbe. The Jikover Rebbe was one of the Hasidic masters about a hundred years ago. Rabbi Yehoshua Mijikov. And he quotes a medrash. The medrash says that Yaakov stole the brachos from Yitzchak on the night of the Seder. That's what he says. How does he know it? Because the Pasuk says that Yitzchak says to Yaakov, Ba achicha bimirma vayikach birchatecha. Your brother came bimirma, what's it mean bimirma? In, right, subterfuge means in secret or, you know, slyly, and he stole your brach. The gematria of the word, here we go, Hasidic, right? The gematria of the word bimirma is 287. The gematria of the word afikoman is 287. Check it, it's right, okay? <laughs> says the Jikover like this. He says, you know why the kids steal the afikoman? The kids steal the afikoman to remember the fact that Yaakov stole the brachas, right? The Yaakov he was he must have been a litvak, because he didn't like stealing the afikoma, and he thought that taught bad, you know, bad habits. The Jikover thought that's fantastic to steal the afikoma, because that reminds us of the fact that Yaakov stole the brachas from Yitzchak. What does that mean? You think that that was a bad thing, that Yaakov stole the brachas. He says no. He says no. What's the lesson of Jewish history? The lesson of Jewish history is that we don't always know how things are going to turn out. And more often than not, things turn out very much different than we originally envisioned or originally thought. And sometimes you have to do what you need to do to make sure things work out for you. 
Yaakov Avinu, at least, maybe not in Drisha, but at least in, in the Jikovers based Medrash, Yaakov Avinu did what he needed to do. And he stole the brachas, and you know, in Jewish history, he was right for stealing the brachas, however you understand that, right? He did ultimately the right thing, and it worked out for him, and everything was okay. And that's what we teach the kids. Steal the afikoman. Don't steal the afikoman in a bad way. Steal the afikoman like Yaakov stole the afikoman. Steal the Afikoman to understand that you are stealing the Afikoman, taking the Afikoman, he's a better word, for the sake of the future of the Jewish people. That's the same idea. And that's what we teach the children. And that's really the symbol of the Afikoman. That the Afikoman becomes the halach, the Afikoman, the bread, the same piece of matzah, that's the halach ma'anya piece of matzah, is transformed into the adiru yivne beso bekarov piece of matzah. And that whether or not you're going to put a piece of matzah from last Afikoman into your cholent this Shabbos or not, that symbolism and that idea, I think, is very, very much alive. So, you know, what you have here, just to kind of review, you have a, a, really a very interesting custom. You have a custom that is so second nature to all of us, so fundamental to our Seder, which is missing from the classical commentaries on the Gemara. It's just not there. But in the last three, four hundred years, it really has taken on a life of its own. In a sense, it has a life of its own much bigger than we give it. Now it's a game. But you see that, you know, over the years, it was something that was really very, very significant, you know, and, and taken very, very seriously. And I think it really is, a, you know, again, whether or not you're going to put it in your challenge, that symbolism really is very, you know, very, very relevant. I think, you know, a, a very powerful message on, on, on the night of Pesach. So um, hope everybody, um, you know, has, has, a wonderful, has a wonderful Pesach and that hopefully the Afikoman will mean just a little bit more this year. Thanks a lot.